Luke records Paul's entrance to the city of Philippi. When he arrived there, he went on the Sabbath day to the riverside. And there he met the women who were gathered together for prayer. With the conversion of Lydia and her household, thus began the congregation there at Philippi. From that humble beginning grew to be one of the most devout, dedicated, faithful congregations of the Lord's church. Paul wrote them a letter while he was in prison in Rome. He wanted them to understand how much God had done for them and what blessings they enjoyed by being a Christian. As you and I have studied the book of Philippians for the past several weeks, we have observed a number of things which Paul had emphasized as a part of their faithfulness to God. This morning, I want to talk to you about citizenship in heaven. And by way of preface, by way of introduction, I'd like to ask each of you, how greatly do you value your citizenship? And in that sense, I'm speaking about your citizenship as a person of the United States of America. Now, there are many people from many places in the world who would love to be a citizen of the United States. I can't tell you how many people that I have met in various places in the world that do not enjoy all the blessings that you and I enjoy. It's very difficult for us to imagine that we live in a peaceful place. You're able to walk the streets at night. You're able to move about freely. People in other countries do not always enjoy this. We are blessed with a tremendous amount of food, material blessings, to the point that people really want to come here. They consider it a place of almost endless opportunity. Our neighbors to the south who live in the country of Mexico and many of those Central American countries are going to great lengths to try to come to our country because of what they see as the benefits and the blessings here. In fact, some are willing to pay money to get here and even more to become citizens. You may have heard that there are those who will transport illegally those people from these countries to our country. Many of them had to pay a large sum of money, save for months, maybe sometimes years, to be able to have enough money to pay someone to get them into this country. Once they arrive, they need paperwork, and many of them will go out and spend a large sum of money to buy illegal paperwork so they can be able to have a job, just so they can be here. You and I enjoy this privilege of living in this country and all the blessings that are a part of it. I want to use a passage of Scripture which I believe will make this abundantly clear. I'd like for you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 22, verses 27 and 28. I will give you the background of this passage before we turn there. Paul has made his journey to Jerusalem. 
he has gone into the temple and there are some there who have decided that they are going to do whatever possible to make Paul's life miserable. And they've created a mob of riot there. The Roman commander has come down from the fortress of Antonio and has arrested Paul. And Paul is now being led away from this and there is an examination taking place. And here's what Luke records for us. Then the commander came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman? He said, Yes. The commander answered, With a large sum I obtained this citizenship. And Paul said, But I was born a citizen. You think about that for just a moment. Here are two men. Here's the man who's the commander. Here's the man with the authority. He wasn't born a citizen. He had to buy it. He had to pay a large sum of money to get this citizenship. There's a whole background that's worthy of somebody investigating and studying here. I will tell you that during the reign of one of the emperors, there were a number of citizenships that were sold. But Paul said, I was born a citizen. Do you realize the privilege that you and I have because the way I became a citizen of the United States of America was I was born here. And I would say that's the way the majority of you were as well. But do you realize there's some people who really, really prize and treasure this citizenship? This morning I'm going to talk to you about citizenship, but not that of the United States of America. I want to talk to you about a citizenship that is much greater and much higher and carries with it many more blessings, and that is being a citizen of heaven. In order for us to do that, I want us to study verses 15 through 21, and we're going to look at three things that are revealed in these verses. The first one is a mindset, the way we think about things. Number two, I want us to look at a model Paul's going to talk about an example. He's going to talk about somebody being a pattern, a model which you would model your life after. And then number three, as relates to this, is that of a motivation. A motivation to serve God acceptably. Let's begin, first of all, and look at verses 15 and 16. Therefore let us, as many as are mature... Have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. There are two mindsets that Paul describes here, that of a mature one and that of the otherwise. To those who are mature are those who have allowed themselves to understand fully, completely God's ordained plan. Now there's going to be a little more to it as we will observe. There are other people though to whom maturity is not a level that they have attained nor are they trying to attain it. Now what mindset does Paul have in mind? 
If he's talking about the way people think, what does he want? He wants people to be mature. If you're reading the original King James, perfect. This comes from an original word which relates to a person attaining a level of understanding. For instance, when a little child is growing up, he may be 30 inches tall. Child grows up, may become 50 inches tall. Child grows a little bit further and becomes 6 foot. We say that a person reaches a certain level of maturity. Now Paul, back in verse 12, was talking about this. Notice how he speaks. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. That word perfected, same word for maturity down here. He says, I haven't reached the point of complete, full maturity, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. The truth is, from verse 12, no one of us knows it all. There's not a one of us that have become perfected in the sense we have it all under control. Would anybody say that? Would anybody say, yes, I, I've learned it all. I already know it all now. I don't need to study anymore. Or I am already such a perfect Christian that I don't have to worry about sinning anymore. You have to seek maturity. And someone says, well, if I can't say that I am mature, then why, and I'm never going to get there in this life, why try? Well, let me give you another example. The Bible teaches us that we are not to sin. But we all know the fact that there is none righteous, no, not one. Or as Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Though I may never be sinlessly perfect, I must strive for sinlessness. Though I will never know it all, I need to strive for maturity. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. He says, I don't want you to have this attitude here that I know it all, but he says, I want you to find maturity. Or perhaps even better, Hebrews 5 verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age. The words full age translates that same word. It's translated perfected, mature. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern good and evil. We get to a point where we can recognize the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. Those who did not feel they needed to attain that level of maturity would soon have this revealed to them by God. You're going to see where it leads. You're going to see the complications of people who do not seek maturity. Let me give you an illustration or two. I've gotten to be good friends with Brother Winford Claiborne over several years. And a few years ago, Brother Winford Claiborne and I were in conversation. And he says, a man said something to me at services the other night. He says, that just astounded me. 
He said, we were studying about how deep certain things were in the Bible. And he says, he come up to me and said, Brother Claiborne, I don't want to know everything you know. He said, you know, I just can't understand why a person wouldn't want to know everything they can know about God's Word. You think of the mindset that says, I don't want to know it all. I don't want to know, I just, just, here's the way it is. I want to know just enough to get me by. Is that where you are? I want to know just enough to get me by. Or as Paul would say, I press on. Are we seeking maturity? Are we seeking to try to grow? Then he would make the point, at whatever level you are, keep pressing on. Whatever level one is attained, go onward from there. Every one of us have room for growth. And then he says we must all live by this same rule and have the same mind. Galatians 6.16 says, As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Folks, we've got to have the right mindset. Now, if you will notice, verses 17 through 19, Paul is going to then focus on a model. Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now notice the words that Paul uses, follow my example. Use us as a pattern. You know those key words there, the word example, comes from an original word which means to mimic. Have you ever mimicked somebody? Someone starts to thinking and they'll do this right here. Let's say they do that every time. You tell them something. They put their hand right there. You want to mimic them. What do you do? That's the word. Paul says you have us as an example, someone that you can mimic, someone that you can follow. Then he says you have us as a pattern. The word pattern comes from the word which we get our English word type. I know some of you younger people may not know what a typewriter is, but just a few years ago, many of us had to use that to do our term papers on. Not nearly as easy as a computer. You had to count the number of lines and you had to make sure you put your footnotes at the bottom of the page. And if you ever hit the wrong key, you had to use this stuff called liquid paper or an eraser. But a typewriter had a metal piece that had the type of that letter in reverse 
That piece of metal would come up and strike a ribbon that had ink on it and it would leave a mark on the page. That's the idea. A pattern. Something that is recognizable, repeatable. Paul said you have us as a pattern which you can make your lives correspond to. You know, it's important to get the right type of a person to use as a model. If I decide I look at this man over here and I'm going to model my life after him, if he uses bad language, I'll use bad language. If he has bad attitudes, I'll have bad attitudes. If I decide I'm going to model myself after another person, though, the person that I choose is really important. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 through 9. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but because or but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Paul said when we went somewhere, we didn't just think about what was our rights. We thought about what kind of example are we going to leave for people. And so whether it was at Corinth or at Thessalonica, Paul wouldn't take pay from those brethren. Not because he didn't have the right to, but because he wanted to establish an example for those Christians to follow. In 3 John, John is writing a letter to his beloved Gaius. There's a real problem that has arisen where Gaius is at. That is, there's a mean man by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes wants to be promoted up to the position of prominence. And he doesn't like John because John keeps telling the truth. And so here's what John writes. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Very next verse, verse 12, he says, But Demetrius, he's a good man. You see, the truth is, is that you have to be careful whom you're going to choose as a model to pattern your life after. And in whose steps are you going to walk? Are you going to follow Paul and those striving to go to heaven who are trying to mature, who are trying to do things better, who are trying to go toward heaven? Or are you going to follow those who Paul calls here enemies of the cross of Christ? What do you mean an enemy? He describes them in very vivid detail by saying, whose end is destruction. They keep following this pathway. They're going to lose their souls, whose God is their belly. You know, he's using a figure of speech. There's some people who live for food. Well, he says these people are those whose God is their belly. Now, he's not talking about food. He's talking about this self-satisfaction, selfishness. 
I want what's in my best interest. Never looking at the needs of others. You go back to chapter 2, verses 4 and following. He'll say, you look not to your own interest alone, but to the interest of others. Whose glory is their shame. They glory in themselves. They boast about themselves. And then the key thing, in my judgment, is this last phrase, who set their mind on earthly things. They're not thinking spiritual thoughts. They're thinking earthly only. Which leads me to point number three, the motivation. Let's look again to verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to even to subdue all things to himself. Now let me point out to you, Roman citizenship was a real important issue in the first century. For me to understand this passage, I've got to see it as the Philippians saw it and as Paul saw it. When you bring up that word, citizenship, what comes to mind? Well, as you and I are reading through our Bibles, the first instance of Paul asserting his Roman citizenship is at Philippi. Do you remember what happened at Philippi? There was a a young woman, a damsel, who had a spirit of divination. She troubled Paul and Silas, and Paul cast that spirit of divination out of that young lady. The owners of it saw that she was no longer able to do the things she had done, and so they had Paul and Silas thrown in prison. They were beaten. They were condemned, and we find them there in that prison jail cell. But after Paul has been beaten and imprisoned, he says in Acts 16.37, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. He said, I'm not going to allow them to mistreat us because we're Romans. Now, what did that mean? If you weren't a Roman, somebody could beat you and you had no recourse whatsoever. If you were a Roman, however, you had a right to appeal to the authorities to protect you. When you were arrested, you had certain rights that saw to it that you wouldn't be unjustly punished. Also, it meant that if the local officials might be corrupt, you could always appeal to Caesar, to the emperor, and that he would see that you were given true justice. Philippi, according to Luke's description in Acts 16 and verse 12, was a colony. What do you mean by a colony? 
That's a place outside of the homeland. It's outside Rome. It's outside Italy. Where the people there were Roman citizens. You know, we think of the colonies. When people came from England and they established colonies here in what we today call the United States, they were British people. They had British rule, British rights. They were colonies. That's the same thing the way Philippi was. Many Roman soldiers would settle in places like this because they had all the benefits. Philippi was a place that treasured Roman citizenship. Acts 16.12 says, And from there to Philippi, which is a foremost city in that part of Macedonia, a colony... So with that thought in mind, Paul's citizenship, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's not in Philippi. It's not in Rome. Definitely not here on earth. These people who are minding earthly things. In John 18, verse 36, when Jesus stood before Pilate, Pilate was amazed at Jesus' answers. One of the questions that had been raised was Jesus Uh, An insurrectionist, troublemaker. No, he's not. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus was saying, Pilate, I am not here to overthrow your rulership. My kingdom is not of this world. In Ephesians 2.19, Paul would write them, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait. You ever get anxious and... uh, Just can't wait for something to happen. I know there's a lot of these really young folks around here are looking forward to about three weeks. They are eagerly waiting, getting some gifts, some presents. They want it. They want it today, but they know I can't get it today. I've got to wait. This idea of eagerly waiting for those of us who are Christians, is we know what blessings are there. We want them. We want them now, but we've got to wait. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ also was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time, apart from sin for salvation. There's some of us looking for the Lord's return again. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, we've used that passage a couple of times over the past couple of weeks. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We want it. We see it in our mind's eye, but it's not here yet. 
What is it that we're waiting for? When He will take this lowly body and transform it to be like His glorious body. Folks, the older you get, the more you realize this body wears out. I know that now much better than I did when I was in my 20s, but some of you who are much older than I am know that much better than I do. You recognize that it wears out. It's not going to last. But one thing we do know that there will be a change. There's a commentary on this passage found in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We'll not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. We win. That's what we're waiting for. The blessing of eternity. You can gain a heavenly citizenship in Galatians 3:26 for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek there's neither slave nor free there's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus and if you're Christ then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise the benefits of this citizenship are out of this world you will get to spend an eternity with God, with Jesus Christ, the Son, the blessed Holy Spirit, and the faithful of all the ages. You'll get to be in paradise, in a new body, an incorruptible one, a glorious one. And there you will enjoy eternal life. I tell you what, the study of the book of Philippians is such an encouragement because it holds out that wonderful hope of being a Christian and the blessings that follow from it. This morning, if you're not a Christian, there's no reason why you should not respond to the invitation this morning. You should come forward and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. I want to be baptized. We'll see that that happens. If you're a Christian, don't let the devil trick you into missing the greatest blessing of life. Would you come while we stand and sing?